All right. Well, Happy New Year. Let me uh, begin your New Year's off with some good news. Uh, I want to thank you guys for being so generous in our Christmas offering. Uh, we were able to completely fund the well that, uh, that we sat out to do. Uh, funny enough, I, I, I was so excited to tell Tammy, uh, our, our partner who's there in Chad, about it. She goes, oh, I already told them you're good for it. They started building. Or they, by faith, they had already started building. So the well is already under construction. We hope to give you some photos pretty soon that you can kind of see. You literally will be saving lives uh, as a result of your generosity. What, you know, Brian was saying, why do we be generous? Because God does amazing things uh, through the generosity that he's trying to build in our hearts. We're, we're becoming more like him when we become generous. And so that's a part of it. You guys uh, did an awesome job. Well, I don't know how you feel about uh, 2018 being gone and 2019 being here. I'm guessing some of you are quite happy that 2018 is gone and you're ready for a new year. Uh, and I know what happens like when the new year comes, we kind of say, okay, it's going to be a better year. Here's some, start, some ways I'm getting a fresh start. But maybe have you found yourself going back to some of the same things as you start the year? I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to spend better. All those kinds of things. Uh, and so I was kind of curious, what are some other things that maybe people are doing to get a, a jump start on the new year? Here's some, different things that may, here's some different things that maybe you would try. You don't have to do these things, but I thought they were interesting. Uh, one was, uh, be the person who decides what restaurant you're going to go to. Okay, right? So it's called the Mexican restaurant standoff, right? When you and your friends are trying to figure out where you're going to go eat. And I don't know, here, here. You be the person who just decides we're going to uh, this new gumbo place. And I don't know what gumbo is, but we're going, get in the car, let's go. And you go and experience it. You be that person. Or another suggestion was be the person who every time you go fill up at the gas station, buy a gift for someone there. Just a way of expressing generosity. So Roddy, here you go. But where'd you go? There you are. There's a beef stick. It's the people's choice beef stick. You're a growing boy. And uh, so I wanted you to have that. I don't know what the people's choice means. Maybe you get less gas from it. I don't know. But it is, it is my gift to you. I got it last night when I was filling up at the Shell station. Or here's the one that, again, maybe your heart really uh, is about making a difference uh, for, for kind of the hurting in the world. You could be someone who knits sweaters for freezing trees. I, I kid you not... This is a real thing. Uh, in fact, they call it uh, yarn bombing is my understanding. But in places like Seattle, Bloomington, New York City, Portland, uh, uh, Cape City, New Jersey. I mean, all these different places or Cape Man, sorry, New Jersey. Uh, they, they have these people who are in the middle of the night. They come and they, they sweater your tree. So if you are looking to sweater a tree, my tree is a double XL and, uh, and we would love it. So these are just some, some uh, different things that you can do. But it's really interesting because we do feel like there's this need for a fresh start, right, at the new year. It's, it's, there's something about it. Last year, we did a series starting in January called Elevate Your Life. And in that series, we invited you to let God into that process. What would it look like for you to kind of dream and plan and uh, uh, create goals or whatever it is, but allowing God to really be the architect of it? Not asking God to bless your plans, but asking God, what are your plans for me? And I can say for myself, it was uh, such a great exercise. I found myself by allowing God to speak into my heart, making better decisions about my health, 
about my finances, all those kind of things that you would do normally, but God was changing me from the inside out uh, doing this. But probably the best thing that happened was uh, I began this process we call SOAP. Uh, SOAP is where uh, you're, you're spending time in God's word. It's a process we call SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, uh, prayer. And the easiest way I can invite you into that now is we have the app, the Beachpoint app. And so on the app, if you click on it, you open it right in the middle. It says SOAP. You click on that. You click on Life with Jesus, which is our new series. And all the readings are all set out for you. So you just kind of pick whichever's next there for you to do. And you get a chance to go through it. And what I learned was, was so powerful was rather than trying to rush through the Bible in any sort of way, trying to get through the Bible, I was slowing down and letting the Bible get through me. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have the app yet, there's probably one of the best reasons to get it is it will help you in this process of spending time with God, uh, learning his word and going through this. And so uh, one of the reasons why that, this becomes so important is because uh, as we try to get our life in alignment uh, when the new year comes, one of the ways that we want to get our life in alignment is spiritually. And, and I think this is a part of this. We, we kind of start thinking about ways that we're going to align our life with God as we think of all our different parts of our life. When it starts getting kind of wonky, we're start trying to figure out how do we bring it back into alignment? How do we get it right with God, uh, get things right? And so one of the best books I read in 2018 was this book called With by Sky Jatani. Uh, and this book With uh, Jatani does something very interesting is he talks about four ways that our lives get out of alignment. Four ways our life with God will get out of alignment. Four ways that we will find ourselves in, but it's really not the way we were created to live. So for some of us, we find ourselves, uh, and here's my, my little uh, diagram that I made in my sixth grade preaching class, but I, I want to uh, show it to you. But uh, for some of us, we uh, live life under God right? We, we live this life under God. And as we live this life under God, we are basically kind of appeasing God. It's the cause and effect relationship. So for example, I do my soap today and therefore God is going to bless my day. Uh, we kind of think there's this kind of give and take. I do my part. God then is obligated to do his part. I satisfy him. He'll satisfy me. And, and so the problem with this, of course, is if we face adversity, uh, then what happens? For example, uh, we're in the NFL playoffs right now. And uh, a few years ago in the playoffs, there was a, a game between the Steelers and the Bills. It went into overtime. Pass from the Bills quarterback goes to the receiver, uh, Steve Johnson. He drops the pass. The Bills wind up losing the game. Afterwards, Johnson uh, went on Twitter and wrote this. He says, I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? Uh, you can see this, right? This is the idea. I give you my praise and worship. Therefore, you should help me catch touchdown passes. You should help me win games. And so when these things don't work, there's, there's this way that we start seeing. It's about satisfying God, pacifying him. I appease him. He'll appease us. But this really is the life of traditional religion. It is doing things that kind of appease the gods or appease God. And this is not the life you were created for. It is a life that is out of alignment. Others of us live a life over God. We live a life in which we avoid God. Uh, in fact, you can think about this. There's, maybe there's a, a sense that maybe, maybe my life would actually be better if there was no religion, no God in it at all. Uh, we can see this in some ways. Think back to 1971. A song took over, uh, written by John Lennon called Imagine. 
Uh, it was a song in which these great melodies and, vo- and lyrics that everyone sang along. It was a very, very difficult time. There's war, there's civil rights disputes, there's, uh, there's been these terrible assassinations. It was not a pleasant time. And so there's this song that kind of takes over and everyone sings along. Imagine a world where there's no heaven, no hell, no religion. And everyone kind of thought this utopian uh, world could happen. But it's interesting, just a couple of years ago here in Los Angeles, a group of uh, secular humanists, different atheist groups met together to have this conference of this utopian world they were hoping to bring in. But these different groups of atheists had disagreements of how it was that they were going to interact with each other and with the outside world. In fact, one LA Times writer said that, uh, surprisingly, that the, the conference turned quite hostile. In fact, at times there was the fear of physical violence. And so this view that, they, that somehow this world without God would be this utopian paradise wasn't really captured there. Now, you and I can easily point the finger at the outside world and say, see, this doesn't work. But let's be honest. You and I can find ourselves living life over God very easily, can't we? So I'm here. I give God an hour on Sunday, but the other 167 hours are mine this week. It's my life. It's my time. It's my money. It's my energy, it's my future, it's my career. Everything is mine. And so we kind of live in this sense of control that uh, this all belongs to me. And so here in the church, we can suffer from this as well. But this was not the life you were created for. This is a life that is out of alignment with the way God wants it. Others of us will find ourselves living this life from God. We live a life from God. And so uh, the way that we live a life from God is we are uh, thinking about the ways that, in essence, we're going to use God for ourselves. Uh, Scott McKnight's a professor that uh, at the beginning of his class on Jesus, he always gives this kind of uh, survey to his students, 24 questions, asking them, How do you, what do you think Jesus was like? You know, was he quiet? Was he an extrovert? Was he the life of the party? What, was, what do you think Jesus was like? And then following those 24 questions, he gives... Uh, another survey to the students, another 24 questions, uh, worded slightly differently, but tell me about you. What are you like? And you can imagine, not only for McKnight, but uh, all the other professors around the world that have done something very similar to this, the, the results are what you might expect, that we create Jesus to be a lot like ourselves. And what we find ourselves is uh, a lot like uh, what the French philosopher Voltaire said uh, many centuries ago. He said, if God made us in his image... We have returned the favor. Uh, Christian Smith is a sociologist. I spent some time uh, studying and reading a lot of work he was doing when I was doing my doctor of ministry work. And he studied the spiritual life of teenagers. And he said the thing that he found with most teenagers was this, that their view of God was he was somewhere between this cosmic therapist and a divine butler. Uh, that's the way they saw him. And when they asked, they kind of pressed further. And they said, where do you think teenagers get this, this mindset that they think that's what God's like? He says, it's the, the way they most easily see it is that's the view their parents have. And so there's this way that we see that life is about what we can get from God, how he can make our life better. And so we want something from God. We, we kind of use God to get something from him. We want his stuff and his blessings, but we really don't want him. And a life from God is not what you were created for. It's a life that's out of alignment. But others of us, we kind of fight against that. And we live a life... For God. We are duty bound. We want to serve God. We want to obey God. We want to do all the things that we think God wants us to do. And we work ourselves to the bone and we, we press and press and press and press. And when we fail, 
That's not very pleasant, is it? And the problem with the life for God, although it sounds like the right way to do life, is that we have taken God out of the center and we've made his mission or, or obeying him or some other task, we've made that the center of our existence. It's not God himself. And so we're living this life for God. I, I see this so well. I teach uh, at Biola University, Talbot Seminary, and here's these Bible students, right? These pastors in training. And they spend all their days studying the scriptures, praying, working countless hours in churches. And then in their honest moments, they will say to me, Bill, my soul is so dry. My life with God is, is dying. Why? Because they are living this life for God. And that's not how you were created to live. When you live a life for God, you're living out of alignment uh, for what you were created for. So if you were to think through 2018, uh, which one of these four best characterizes you and your life with God? What does it look like? I, I can see for myself that there were many times when I lived life over God. Pastors are notorious for uh, compromising things like the presence of God and prayer for a good book on business and, and systems and trying to figure out some kind of leadership principle that would move the church forward. And so I can find myself many times trying to say, God, you're just taking way too long. I need a faster way to get this done. Other times I can see myself living my life for God. And, and, and I'm, I'm striving and striving to please him. And he's saying, whoa, 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 slow down, son. You're getting ahead of us. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. What does your spiritual life look like in 2018? Now, what if, what if there was a different way? What if there was a way in which we were designed to live, we were created to live, a way in which we are truly in alignment with God? And this is the big idea that I want to show you both today and through this next series, that you were created to live life with God, to live life with God, that you were created to be in a relationship, not over him or under him, not for him or from him, but to live life with God. That's what you were created for. And this is the, this is the big God story from creation that you were created. God created us, not because he needed us, but because he wanted to share himself with us. And that the story of salvation is God rescuing us so that we can be with him now and forever. And that the great end of the story, the great culmination of, of God's story is that heaven and earth are joined together, that God's dwelling comes among us, that we are with him forever. If this is God's story, then this is the way we were created to live, to live our life with him. And this is what we're going to be after in the next few weeks. So our series is called Life with Jesus. Uh, and, and you were created for this life with him. And so here comes the son of God in human flesh to live among us as we saw at Christmas. And he begins and he, his, his life and ministry erupts into this world. And we are, dis, we are to discover what it means now to live life with him. And so what we're going to do for these next weeks is kind of look at what became, what was so important to Jesus? What was important to him? What did he talk about? What did he do? Uh, what were the things that he didn't want us to worry about? And the more that we see what it looks like to walk with him as one of his disciples, the more that we can discover what it might look like. And so let's get started with that. Let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Each week we will be in the next chapter of Mark. So we'll go through it. 
And so as you, as the week goes on, uh, the soap passages will kind of take you through passages in that chapter that you can think about uh, and meditate on. We'll look at one of the key passages in every chapter each week. The other passages you will study on your own through soap. Uh, And so we want to encourage you with that. But Mark is an interesting guy to write uh, one of the gospel accounts. Uh, the word gospel means good news. It's his account, uh, his good news account of Jesus and his kingdom. Mark, we know from uh, our, our earlier study in, uh, in the book of Acts, he was someone who went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Something spooked him. He, de- he deserted them. He went back so that when they went on their second missionary journey, uh, Paul said, no, we're not taking Mark with us. Barnabas, who was his cousin, said, yeah, we are. They actually came to such a sharp disagreement over this. They said, you know what? Let's make two teams. And they did. Barnabas and Mark went off. And then Paul took Silas and they went off. And so this whole, uh, we see this, these different teams that went off. But later, it's fascinating, Mark later becomes a very valued team member to Paul. In fact, at the very end of, of Paul's life, he talks about how meaningful uh, John Mark is to him and that he hopes that he'll come. And so we see this great turnaround in, in Mark's life. Um, there's some other interesting passages about him as well. But the, probably one of the most interesting things that you're going to see as we go through this is that uh, scholars think that Mark's gospel, the source of Mark's gospel was Peter himself, the disciple Peter. And so you're going to see story after story after story in which Peter is involved. And it's very fascinating. In fact, today we will see uh, the calling of Peter and how uh, we would understand this. But one of the things I think you're going to enjoy about the book of Mark is this. It is fast. It is fast-paced. It moves in a way where it's very action-minded. It was written towards a, a Roman audience. It is it's about uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and, and this king and what he's doing. And so you see things, boom, it's happening. It's happening fast. You'll see words like immediately, at once. It, it, it emphasizes those things. And so let's think about what life with God is like. Let's listen to what Jesus had to say. Let's watch for what Jesus does. Because if it's important to Jesus, we want it to be important to us, don't we? And so let's begin uh, with these words. Uh, We're going to start in verse 14 today. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. Simon is Peter. Simon Peter is his name. Uh, For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. So today I want us to look at uh, this part of Mark, and I want to make two observations and then lead us into a response that will help us uh, take communion together. And so the first observation I want you to see is that life with Jesus begins with an announcement and an invitation. An announcement and an invitation. So Mark begins... Uh, where we're seeing it begins, we saw uh, Mark begin last week with Justin, that as it begins, it begins with uh, uh, this, this kind of uh, strong statement. This is about the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's like, here it comes. And we saw John's job, uh, and Justin led us, uh, John's job was to prepare the way. 
But now as Jesus begins his ministry, we see right away, as John is put in prison, Jesus begins to pronounce this good news again. The kingdom of God is bursting forth. This is the announcement. And the announcement, this gospel, this good news that is being announced, it is different than advice. Uh, it is not just something that you would, you would hear to make your life a little bit better. So your life right now is going to be filled with advice. This season, like you're going to get uh, annoyed with how many ads and, and offers and things have. Here's how to eat better. You can go keto or you can go vegan or you can go clean or you can like all these kind of advices of how you can eat. Here's an app for hiking, for biking, for walking, for running, for lifting. Here's, they're all advice. Here's a better way to spend. Here's a better way to budget. Here's a better way to save. Here's a better way to invest. All advice. Not bad things, but no, I want you to see something that all those things are uh, attempts at kind of making your life a little bit better, a little bit healthier, all those kinds of things. But when a king comes and he launches his kingdom and he announces his kingdom, this is significant, big news. This is not one of those things where you'd be reading the Sunday paper. Those of you, there used to be this thing that got delivered to your house. It was called the paper. Okay, you open up, what do you open up? I don't know, you open up your news app, I guess. Okay, so where you kind of just are scrolling through things. I got to get my illustrations in line. But this is not one of those things where you're just passing over. This was the kind of thing that, all, that the heavens erupted in joyous celebration. Think about Christmas. Jesus is born and the announcement comes from this angel that a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the king. And then the heavens open up and choirs of angels kind of fill the sky. They light up the night, singing, praising that this is, that's how big a deal this was. You can look just a few verses before this and you can see that in Jesus' own baptism as he went down to John for his own baptism, that when Jesus was baptized, once again, the heavens were ripped open. That the Spirit descended upon him. The Father cried out his, his love and delight in his Son as he always has had him. This is a big deal. And it is significant in this moment. And so Jesus is coming, and this announcement is a big deal of him announcing that this kingdom is here. It's not news that we breathe over. But when the announcement of a king and a kingdom came, there, there was an invitation really drawn to it. The expectation of announcing a king and a kingdom was, you need to become a part of this. Uh, it wasn't just announced that this is happening, but, but to get on board, to come in line with this. And so uh, years before Jesus and years after Jesus, we actually see the same wording used as we see here in verses 14 and 15. That there's, there would be announcements of, of uh, some kind of movement, of some kind of, uh, of kingdom, and the words would be repent and believe. And so we see this historically and so what was the expectation when first century hearers heard those words, the kingdom is here, repent and believe. The expectation was this, that whichever, whatever you were giving your loyalty to, you were now to give your loyalty to this new king. And so when Jesus enters in and he announces the good news of his kingdom, what his expectation is, is that you will now give your loyalty to him, your devotion to him, your allegiance to him as your new king. It was that big of a deal. It begins with the announcement and, and an invitation. But notice this, that life with Jesus requires a change. It requires a change. And so we see two imperatives, two commands that are given. The commands are repent and believe. 
Repent means to reverse your course. So whichever course you're going, whichever way you were going, whoever you were giving your loyalty to, or whatever you were giving your loyalty to, you would now turn your course and you would now give your loyalty to this, this one. So we saw last week with Justin that when John came and he's preaching a baptism of repentance, he's telling the people, turn your hearts back to God. You've been pulling away. You've been living away. You've been going in one of these directions away from God. That's not what you were created for. And he's, he's calling to them, come into the waters. Say, enough. Stop. Hit the brakes. And turn your direction and come in this new direction. Turn your heart back towards God because he's about to do something amazing. And so when Jesus comes announcing his kingdom, the, the, the word he gives is repent. Turn yourself, whatever direction, whatever loyalty you're giving somewhere else, give it now to me. Repent and believe this good news. To believe is to, to give uh, faith, is to have faith or to place your absolute trust. We would say it here this way, I, I, I would say it this way, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That what we believe is this, is that, that you are given the gift of salvation. As a, a, it's a gift that God offers you. When Jesus comes onto the scene offering the gift of salvation, life eternally in his kingdom, that is a gift. We were rebelling against his kingdom. He has come to make all these things right. It is a gift that he offers to us. And we receive that gift by stopping our own devotion and loyalty to our own kingdom or whatever other kingdom we're serving and turning to him and giving our devotion by faith to him and to his kingdom alone. This is what it looks like. The two happen together. Now, what's so interesting, I pray that you will look at when you're going through Mark is this, is that notice something. That Mark is going to show you that Jesus is not just this inspiring character. He's not just someone who rose up in the day and said, I, a zealot who said, look, I will tear down the Romans. See, the, the Jewish people had been experiencing incredible oppression from in the, in the hundreds of years uh, leading up to this moment. From exile and the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks, now the Romans. And there would be different leaders who would rise up and say, repent and believe, I'm the one, I'm the one. And they would say, look, I'm going to take it by force. I'm going to do it by this way. And Jesus comes as God's son into this world saying, I am now, my kingdom is now going to take over this world. Repent and believe this good news. And Mark's going to do something. He is going to show you that Jesus is the son of God. He's not just some inspiring leader. In fact, if you were to read on, if, as you read on these, these next few passages in your soap this week, notice the first thing you'll read is about Jesus teaching. And they say about him, who is this guy? Because he teaches like one with authority. Now, when you see that word authority, that does not mean he's like this old teacher who would slap your knuckles with a ruler because you weren't listening. Or It means like from the source, from the author, that he was teaching. Can you imagine this? Imagine getting in a time machine and going back into this time and sitting into a service in which Jesus was teaching the scriptures. And your, your eyes are getting big and your mouth, your jaw is dropping. You're like, you're hearing the very words of God from God himself. And it makes such sense to you because you're in your heart. You're saying this, this, my heart resonates with this. This is what they were saying. He teaches not like the other teachers. He teaches like one who's hearing it right from God. And Mark wants to show you that Jesus is not just some, any figure. He is the son of God. But then following that, you're going to see all this string of miracles. 
that Jesus doesn't just have authority over the spiritual world, but he has authority over the physical world, that we now know that Jesus has authority over all things in heaven and earth, that he's not just anyone, some inspirational leader to follow, that he is God's king and his kingdom is breaking forth. So here's the response that I want to invite you to today, that to live life with God, you have to leave the old behind and follow Jesus and follow Jesus. You know, Brian pointed out that following Jesus is never easy. And and here we see it in the first call. And and it's very interesting because the, the call of these four fishermen, we see a very, very dynamic moment in their lives. Now, Simon and Andrew and James and John, they'd had some interaction with Jesus up to this point. But remember, we're hearing this, this testimony probably through the, the, the lens of Peter and his experience. Now, Peter could have told you about the miraculous catch, as Luke describes it in Luke 5. Or they could have told you about when, when Andrew first met Jesus and took Jesus to meet uh, his brother Peter. But Peter wants to stress one thing. He wants to stress what it was that Jesus said to us. He said, follow me, follow me. And Mark shows the response at once. They left their nets immediately. Uh, They left their father. They left the the business to the hired hands. And, And you see the kind of dramatic response that happens in hearing this call. And this is kind of fascinating because uh, rabbis weren't used to, you wouldn't have rabbis picking the disciples. Usually it was the other way around. The disciples would go to rabbi and say, I want to learn under you. And they would ask. But here's the rabbi, the teacher, the master teacher coming and saying, come, you, follow me. And Peter says, man, it pierced us. And like in a moment, we just gave everything up and we began to follow him. Now, you can see two things I think are very interesting. Number one, you see that Jesus is asking them when, in this call to follow me. You see that it is a call to, to priority, that you are going to place me first above all things. So we see in some ways that he says, you're going to place me first even above your family. Now, in our culture today, this might not hit us as deeply as it would have then. Uh, we're used to, a lot of you have moved away from home or you have kids who've moved away from home. We just kind of don't do it as they used to do it. But think of the second example. I must have priority over your calling, your career, your future, your plans. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're hitting too close to home. Those are my plans. This is my career. This is my future. And Jesus is saying, look, if it were a race... I need to be in first, and these things need to be so far in second place, you would basically think they weren't even in the same race together. You have to give me your loyalty and devotion. Otherwise, this life with me won't work. Okay? It can't work. It just, you'll try, and you'll fail, and you'll struggle, and you'll keep wondering why it's not working. It's, it's because I've told you... Put those things behind you. Come with me and I'll give you all the other things as well. So it wasn't as if Peter never spent time with his family again. He did. And we see this right away. In fact, in chapter one, it wasn't that they didn't even fish again. We see that at the end of John, they they fished again. But Jesus is saying, you must make me the priority of your life over all these other things. This is what a life with me looks like. Now, when you've made that decision, were you at 100%? Of course not. I like to think that I've kind of gotten higher than I was 35 years ago, but I still know I have a long way of of learning what it means to truly be devoted. 
But I can say in that moment, 35 years ago, when I heard the whisper in my heart, Jesus saying to me, Bill, will you follow me? Even if none of your friends will. That with all I had in me, all I knew how to put my faith into, that I made a choice to leave the old behind and to follow him. And it was the best decision I ever made. I can't imagine my life uh, without Jesus. I can't imagine my life with Kimberly, with my kids, my, my, the things that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of in this world. I can't imagine my life apart from him. It was the best decision I ever made. I don't, I don't ever regret it. Now, there's times I've doubted things, of course. But I don't regret the decision to follow him. And in that day, uh, we sing a song. Uh, that day, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And as best as my 14-year-old person knew how to sing that and say that, that was the commitment of my life that day. And I want to invite you to do the same. I want to invite you this morning, if you haven't yet, to begin a life of following Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you have been following him, but you just know somehow, some way, you just haven't been doing life with him, to, to repent, to stop the direction you were going, and to change that direction, to live life with him. And so Jesus did something very special. He gave us, at the end of his life, we'll see in a few chapters, he gave us a way to remember him. And the way to remember him was that he took bread in a cup and he passed it around. And they had this meal together. And he says, you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember me until I come again. This would become a symbol to them of, of, of what he did for them. And as they would join together, they would experience this, this kind of real presence of God with them as they would share in this bread and cup. And, and, and millions upon millions have done this in the 2,000 years since and millions have done it today. And we're going to do the very same thing. And so in a moment, the ushers are going to come and they're going to pass trays. And if you're committed as best you know how, if you're saying that uh, I want to be a follower of Jesus, then I want you to to remember him. Because I don't want you to remember him uh, in the sense of that following him is that he is going to crush your life. He is not the kind of king who will crush your life. In fact, he's the kind of king who had his life crushed for your sake. And we remember that in this moment. And so let me invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to think about something as the elements are prepared to be passed to you. I want you to try to imagine in your mind's eye as best you can, try to imagine yourself standing on that shore. You're there at the Sea of Galilee, you're standing in the sand. You can hear the, the lake kind of lapping against the, the shore. You can feel the cool breeze. And you see these four guys leaving their nets, leaving their, their, their family, leaving their future, leaving all this stuff. And they're following Jesus. But now Jesus turns to you. And he takes a step towards you. And he looks at you, and you can see there's great delight. You see the smile on his face as he looks you in the eye, and he says to you by name. He calls you by name. Hear him say your name. And he says, friend, follow me. You too come with me. 
Come and do life with me and be my disciple. And then he stretches out his hand towards you as if to beckon you towards him. But you notice something. You notice his nail-pierced hand. And you see the smile on his face as if he was saying, I would do it a thousand times again if it meant life with you now and forever. And as he reaches out his hand, he says again, he calls you by name and says, follow me. As you receive the the bread and the cup, as you take the two cups, uh, think about how you want to respond to him in this moment. When you're ready, eat, drink, and remember him. Lord Jesus, we, we hear your call to us today to be your followers. In any way, our life is misaligned. We're trying to do life over you or under you or from you or for you, but not life with you. We pray that you would realign us today. Help us, Lord, in our repentance, turn our hearts back to you and beginning today by faith, trusting you, uh, walking with you day by day, step by step. Let these, uh, this bread and this cup be a reminder of your great devotion to us, that it might inspire in us great uh, devotion and loyalty to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.